Welcome to Healthcare and Hire, a podcast for healthcare professionals and aspiring healthcare executives looking for information, association, and inspiration from higher-level leaders across the healthcare industry. I'm Iqbal Acha, career consultant, healthcare recruiter, and registered pharmacist. Every week, I sit down to interview healthcare executives, clinical leaders, medical entrepreneurs, and industry experts to learn how they got to where they are today, what they see as the future of healthcare, and what they're doing to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and effective. Let's find out more about today's guest. Shaquilla Robinson-White is the Group Vice President for the Galaxy Division at DaVita Kidney Care. She provides strategic leadership, guidance, and management for field leaders across Texas, Louisiana, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. Prior to joining DaVita in 2011, Shaquilla was the Chief Operating Officer for Tenet Health's Doctors Hospital at White Rock Lake. She has served as the director of the Texas Gulf Coast Commitment to Quality Team and as a consultant for Booz Allen Hamilton. Shaquilla attended Wellesley College, where she graduated summa cum laude with a bachelor's degree in economics. She also obtained her MBA from Harvard University and serves on numerous boards, including those of the Houston National Kidney Foundation, White Rock YMCA, Texas Board of Podiatric Examiners, and Access Health. Hello, Shaquilla. Welcome to the Healthcare and Hire podcast. Hi, Iqbal. It's so good to be with you today. It's a pleasure to have you on board. I'm so excited. I know that there's many people that are listening on this show today that are probably meeting you for the first time. So why don't we take this opportunity and have you introduce yourself? Why don't you share with us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and and how does what you do help take healthcare to a higher level? So I'm Shakila Robinson-White, and I am a group vice president with DaVita, and we specialize in kidney care disease. I am currently responsible for one of our nine U.S. operating groups, and so I have Texas and some of the surrounding states. As I share with recruits, you can think of me like a general manager. So I am accountable for the 20,000 plus patients who have end-stage kidney disease in my geography, those who treat both at home and those who treat in, um, in our clinics, as well as we have about 100 hospitals that we contract with and provide services to as well. And then lastly, and what I enjoy most is I am responsible for over 6,000 teammates. And at DeVita, we call our teammates, teammates versus employees. So I have the privilege of serving them every day. And what makes the difference is if you know kidney care disease, particularly end-stage kidney disease, these are some of the sickest patients in our country. So I have the opportunity every day to support our teams who are delivering what we consider to be life-saving care. And so that's what inspires me every day. And I now have been with DeVita for over 10 years. 
Wow, that's really impressive. And I'm going to dig into your history in a little bit, but I, I love the idea and the way that you've prefaced this issue because you're right, chronic kidney disease, end-stage renal disease, these are, these are some heavy-hitting diseases that not just impact the patient, right, but the caregivers as well. I'm speaking personally now, like my father-in-law is at a stage 3B, my wife was at a stage 3A earlier. So understanding, you know, the, the deleterious effects of chronic kidney disease and end-stage renal disease, it's more than just an, Im, you know, impacting one person. Leading a team of 6,000 healthcare professionals and, and managers, that's that's a whole other ball game, Shakila. I mean, I'm I'm just gonna dive right into that one first, right? Like, so I know your your history, right? Like, you've you've actually held a lot of different leadership roles throughout the course of your career. You've been, uh, you know, a director of operational excellence at Tenet Health. You were a chief operating officer at Doctors Hospital, um, and I believe that was in Texas, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? Yes, Dallas, Texas. Dallas, yes. Texas, right? And I know that you were also divisional vice president. Now you're a group vice president, but to be able to make manage, uh, interact, motivate, and inspire 6,000 associates. That's a daunting task. Shakila, share with me a little bit, like, you know, what does a day-to-day in that space alone look like? Well, I would say people ask me that question, like, is there a normal day-to-day? And I've been, like I said, with Davida for 10 years. There's not a normal but I will tell you aspects of it. And that's what keeps me also pretty excited because I don't walk in saying, I know these are the 10 things that are going to happen today. Um, but you know, a normal day is engaging with my leadership team and seeing how best that I can support them. And that's how I think about my role. I am there to support them to ensure we can deliver care either at the chair side or at the bedside. Um, so, you know, there's multiple calls with whatever issue may be going on for them or additional resources that they may need. Um, there's also when I get the opportunity, I like to actually be hands on. So I will visit clinics and spend time with our teammates and our patients. I was actually just at a clinic a couple of weeks ago and just gives me an opportunity to pull up a stool and talk to teammates and patients and see what's going on. Um, I always say like, by the time it gets to me, it's filtered. And so when I can just be right there in the epicenter of everything, I can hear truly what's going on. Um, and then of course, physicians are nephrologists. You know, I'm in meetings with them as well as with health systems. Um, and so it's a variety. It's working with the teammates. It's working with, like I said, our physicians, health systems and payers. And so I have a chance to do a lot of operational work, but also a lot of strategic um, initiatives, particularly as we're moving to a value-based care world. I know that's a word we all, words we like to throw out a lot, but we're definitely moving in that direction in kidney care. I, I, I definitely see that. And I understand like how Davida is moving in that space. Before we delve deeper into that avenue, I want to go back because you mentioned something that was really poignant for me. You talked about, you know, trying to address with change and, uh, you know, when you're there in the actual clinic, you get to see things in an unfiltered capacity. So recognizing that, you know, different associates and, and teammates, you know, have gone through um, and really had to take a step up in order to be able to take care of their patients in general. Again, we're talking about end-stage renal disease where patients are really at their last uh, end of the rope. Now, on top of that, let's throw a pandemic. Um, and, you know, just the, the facets that go into this, your patients are the sickest patients, you know, in, in, in the world of healthcare, they're not just dealing with one issue, they're dealing with a, a variety of symptoms because of the fact that their kidneys no longer function well. And, you know, to have disparity 
Uh, I mean, and let's be very honest, you know, socioeconomic disparities exist. Uh, and I'm sure that your patient population felt that greater in the last 18 months or so, and unfortunately may continue to do that if this Delta variant continues. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, how Davida has been leading the charge in trying to, to level that playing field from a, from, a, from a healthcare access, quality of care perspective. Again, knowing who your patients are, funding, you know, and, and, and finances are definitely a challenge and just access in itself is, can be uh, a big mountain for, for any organization and, and a patient to climb. Yeah, um, great question. Well, for us, um, particularly given our patient base, as you mentioned, um, our patients um, come from a, a lot of different social economic backgrounds, but our patients also um, tend to also come from very diverse backgrounds. We have a number of African-American and Hispanic patients. Um, you could, I would say almost like two thirds of our patients are from a diverse base. Um, so when you bring, when you factor in not only social economics, but it, you know, also um, diversity and ethnicity, that's a, a lot of different complexity to manage through. But for us, the way we think about it is it's very much patient-centric. Patient we want to ensure that we treat you as an individual patient. And as you just mentioned, like with the, with the pandemic, and we saw that in the numbers, particularly early on, many of our minority communities were dying at a much higher rate um, than one would expect. And then we also saw with vaccinations, the reluctance to move forward and I have to acknowledge because my dad was one of the ones who was reluctant because um, he was like, hey, I remember Tuskegee. And uh, so, I, you know, like uh, having to have those conversations and solve and engage. But we saw that in our numbers. We, we saw that when we actually, DeVita, received vaccines in our clinics, we did not have a difference amongst different minority groups. However, when we did not have access to vaccine and we had to send them to third parties, like mm. um, you know, different um, drugstores, you didn't see the same numbers. And mm. so we were able to work with the federal government and receive a federal allocation, actually the whole kidney care industry. So we were able to receive vaccine in our clinics. And once we did that, because we see our patients three times a week, mm -hmm. they know us, they trust us, and we can begin to have the conversations and also seek to understand what is the reluctance. We were able to ensure that our patients from all backgrounds have access. And now over 70% of our patients are vaccinated. Great. And we're going to continue to, as we move to the pandemic, to do so. So very much important to us that everyone receives the same level of care. You know, I, that's so remarkable to hear. And, and I want to delve into that a little bit deeper, right? Like you, you talked about trust, right? And especially knowing like, you know, your, your father's response to the vaccine of, you know, his, in, his experience either reading or being a part of, you know, that in generation that had to deal with that kind of stigma. Um, you know, the only way to overcome that kind of that apprehension is to have number one, a level of trust with somebody that's working in that healthcare environment. And then letting them like know like hey this is okay for you to bring down your walls because we've done that too and here's how we'll make it easier for you and that means having a team of individuals that work you know at davida or any organization um you know feely really being a part of the both the mission the vision and then also feeling like they're you know at a good spot both mentally, physically, personally, collectively, like we all know as leaders that we have to make every, but we have to respect everyone else's, you know, individual journey. And at the same time, inspire them, motivate them to be able to say, hey, listen, you know what, this is how we work together. And this is how we save lives. 
Tell me a little bit about maybe any challenges that you and your group had, uh, you know, with working with some teammates, because again, yeah, the pandemic changed everything. Uh, and that's an, and there's no guidebook, right? There's no guidelines and there's no rule book. Like, oh, when a pandemic hits, just go to page 72 and just do this. Like, how does that work for you guys? And maybe any challenges that you had to overcome and something that you were successful with? Yes. Um, very much early in the pandemic, particularly with teammates. And if you recall, like information was changing daily. And you have to also have that trust with your teammates because they're the ones who are going to take care of your patients. And so what we did is we tr- we went into um, a mode in which we were communicating multiple times a day. And I would like to definitely credit our senior leaders because I don't know if you see this in every organization, but our CEO moved into having twice a day meetings with his team that cascaded to our teams on down. And, and then he also was the voice on daily calls with all of our teammates across what we call the beat of the village. So all of our teammates across the village, they were hearing from him on a daily, on a daily basis um, at the very beginning of the pandemic. And that was quite reassuring to the team. But what it did is it allowed people to hear what's the facts and what's changing today. And I also had that same structure for my team too. And anyone could join those calls and ask questions. I think that was the key, not just for us to be giving information, but to take time to really hear what was top of mind and what was top of mind was safety. I'm really proud that we actually were able to supply PP&E for all of our teammates and ensure that they had the proper um, equipment to continue to treat our patients. But what we did is really seek to over, over communicate, but take time to seek to understand what were the fears and the concerns and to acknowledge it and to let people work through those emotions and then see how can we support them with the facts, but also being compassionate and just recognizing that we are all in in this new world. And there's a world outside of our homes where we have children that we have to take care of and you wanna ensure you're not going to endanger your family. So we just made sure that we could seek to understand, provide the right equipment and support and also the right mental support leveraging our, um, I think people call it EAP, we call it TAP because we're teammates, right? But ensuring that our teammates had that level of support at any time to call and just talk through what's going for them, going on for them during the pandemic. You know, the good companies understand that and they always bring forward those resources. I think that there are stories where that can be a miss, for, but it's usually not for companies that have like established themselves as leaders. And I do find that, you know, just in this story alone, recognizing accessibility to leadership, availability of resources, and a listening ear. Sometimes that's all that, you know, associates need. There's just an opportunity to be able to either vent their frustrations or voice their concern or their confusion. But being a leader, you know, it's really important. And, and you've demonstrated this, like, I'm here to listen. I don't. I might not have the answer for you right here, right now, but I understand what you're going through, and you know, talk to me. Um, I think that that's also what's really what one of the things that I admire about your organization and you as well. You know, having spoken to a few people in your organization, like that's really a key thing. Um, Shakila, you, you mentioned this earlier. You've been with the organization now for ten years. You've seen a lot of progress, uh, both in terms of the company and then also within the industry. And as we all know. I mean, there's no cure for a kidney disease, right? It's just transplant and that's it. And that even then, that's not a 100% guarantee. So 
Having seen the industry change over the course of a decade, you and I both know that there are more changes ahead. And in order for a company to be a leader or even stay at a pace with the changes, right? Like there's always some forward thinking involved. From your perspective, maybe just from the studies that you've you know, read or people that you've talked to, how do you see the business of dialysis or kidney care in general changing over the next five years? Yes, it's been an exciting journey over the, the last 10 years, and I'm very excited with where we're going in the future. And it's not this talk anymore. You actually are starting to see things shift in that direction. And, and I what I shared earlier is value-based care. Mm -hmm. And that's not a new term for healthcare. You know, we've been talking about value-based care, but what does it really mean for the kidney care industry? I think it's important for people to understand that kidney care patients make up 1% of our patient population, but 7% of the healthcare cost. Going back to what you just shared, the complexity of the, of the disease, right? Many of them have multiple chronic conditions, hypertension and diabetes. Um, you know, many of these patients take over 19 plus um, pills a day. It is amazing what they go through and they have multiple hospital stays. So as we think about value-based care, what that means is we need to shift from thinking about volume to truly value. And then how do we as an organization, how are we able to show up in a way that we can drive better patient outcomes and also create that caring experience while reducing costs? And that's what value-based care does because it changes the economics. It allows you to focus on that value. Um, so with integrated care, as you know, it's very important for someone that has multiple chronic conditions to have one point of someone just ensuring that all the moving parts. <laughs> Sorry, that's know, like a hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> yes, that they're talking. And so we actually have these models throughout DeVita, and we've been doing this now for over 10 years in different pallets and um, also with CMS and palleting different things. But we are able to coordinate your cardiologist and your endocrinologist and even your psychiatrist, as well as your kidney care for those patients that are in value-based care programs. And about 10% of our patients currently are now. And we're hopeful as we see the government start to shift in that direction, that more patients will have the opportunity to be managed in this way or have their care managed in that way. Um, and the way we're able to do this is over the 10 years, we've built up our predictive analytics capabilities. Like we can... We have a lot of patient data, right? We do labs all the time. We see our patients all the time. So we actually can now identify who's most likely to be hospitalized. Okay, we now know this. So weekly, we can think about interventions with our care teams who come from, you know, social workers, dietitians, our nurses to really think about going back to patient-centric care. Iqbal, what do we need to do for you today to avoid that hospitalization? Um, how can we best support you? What does that look like? And that includes psychosocial support and ensuring you're getting that as well. Oh. So I am really excited about where we're going with value-based care. Um, I am hopeful that the industry will continue to move in this direction and really help our patients, you know, have the experience. So we want to deliver great outcomes and have the right experience to be able to do so. 
So I, I'm really intrigued by this. Like this is a really beautiful model, the way that you're describing it, right? Like we've, we've seen a similar conversation happen with other guests on the show, but they're predominantly managed care. So they are, you know, like looking at it from a different lens. Like this is just a remarkable aspect because, you know, you're talking about like explaining the value to every person, provider, player that's, you know, a part of this team. And I think that that's where I'm finding a big difference in speaking with you versus others the patient often gets left behind, right? The patient is often the result or the recipient of whatever was decided for them. And here you are telling me like, hey, listen, you know, I, you know what you're gonna experience when you go to a hospital. How can we help you avoid that? And then we talk about creating a care plan and moving in that, in that space. I'm really loving this. Um, you know, Shakila, when, you, when we talked about, uh, you know, I'm gonna go back and talk a little bit about your career now, because again, the progression that you've had has been very, very intriguing, right? Like we, we mentioned earlier in this podcast, uh, you know, you were working as a, a director of operational excellence at Tenet Health, uh, then you were a chief operating officer at Doctors Hospital, then you moved to DeVita. You know, these are high visible, high, you know, leadership level, high, high levels of leadership. Um, and it's curious for the listeners that are here, most of them are listening because they want to go from where they are today into a role, either some, you know, in, in the pathway towards where you are today. How did you prepare for this? Like this is a, you know, was there like a, 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 a structured curriculum? They're like, oh, to be a vice president, this is, these are the classes you need to take. Here's who you need to hang out with. And these should be your mentors. Like, it seems like very obscure to the listener, but I would love to understand, like, how did you individually prepare for this particular role? So that way, when you got there, you were like, I mean, I know everything, but I feel darn comfortable enough to be able to manage at least most of it. Yes, I wish I could tell you, like, there was this playbook, <laughs> that, you know, that I had, but I'm happy to share. Maybe it may help someone else. Um because, you know, it definitely was learning as I go. Um, but in terms of like, how did I get to the position I am today, which like I said, I'm very grateful to be sitting at the table at DeVita to impact so many lives. But it really does go back to, and I know my parents always told me this, it did go back to hard work. And so I, people ask me like, well, Shakila, how do I move up? Particularly when we bring in like a new leader. And I was like, let's first focus on your backyard. And so what I really did is made sure, let me be good at what my job is, which was to operate, whether that was at Tenant when I was a COO or now, you know, with DeVita when I came in as a VP or as a group VP, like, what it, like, let me be good at that role. And then the second thing, and people sometimes forget this, look at your upline and I, like, how are you adding capacity to them? Hmm. Because people expect you to do your current job, but if you're going to really serve the person that you're reporting into, it's like, let me add capacity because I can take on additional. Um, and how do you do that? That is through team and ensuring that you can attract great talent, grow and develop that, you know, your talent base so that you have the support to be able to take on those additional assignments. Um, and those assignments, like raise your hand for the stretch assignments. And, you know, so when I became a, D, a VP in DeVita after a couple of years, I took on a second division and that allowed me to, you know, manage a more complex business, which better prepared me for my current role as group vice president. So um, I would always advocate for how do you build a capacity for your upline, but how are you also ensuring you're prepared for those stretch assignments 
And then the last thing, I know we talk about sponsorship, at least people have talked about um, mentorship and sponsorship. Mm -hmm. I always think about like mentorship is someone talking to you. Sponsorship is someone talking about you. And so who are your sponsors? Who is advocating for you when you, you know, when those decisions are being made about who's going to be the next promotion or who should we give the next stretch assignment to? And being very intentional with who those people are in your organization. Yes, have mentors, people that can support you. You need that psychosocial support that comes from mentoring. And you do need sponsors who can better prepare you for that next step, and and particularly in your organization. And I love the fact that you made that as a differentiating factor, because I think a lot of the new practitioners uh, and even some seasoned, seasoned professionals that are my clients today, they they tend to blur the lines between that or they're just completely unaware that a sponsor is really a critical component of career advancement. Like there is some, there are conversations taking place behind closed doors that you will have no access to, no idea of what is being talked about or who is being talked about. But if someone has seen the value that you have brought to the organization or has observed you in action and says, wow, if I could clone this individual, you know, if she was on my team, you know, how far, much farther I would be in, uh, you know, where we are today. And then they go into one of those meetings and they're like, whoa, whoa, before we talk about anyone else, you need to talk about Shakila because I just saw Shakila do this. And I'm telling you, she is your next group VP or maybe your next COO. I don't know what it is, but somebody's talking about you too, Shaquille. So, I mean, I think it's important that the listeners recognize like it's great to have a a career mentor because in my opinion, a career mentor is somebody that you want to become as you grow older or as you become more seasoned, right? I love what you've done. Tell tell me about your ups and downs or what you're doing today. Sponsor somebody that speaks for you. And then of course, there's a career coach that actually works with you one-on-one to develop the tools, the tips and the techniques so that you can implement them as well. I love all those things. Um, You know, again, when we think about your career, like you've done so many things, like I I love your background. I love the work that you do. Is there something that when you reflect on your career, you stop and you go, I mean, there's a lot of good things I've done, but the biggest thing that I'm most proud of, yeah, it has to be that. What would be that one milestone in your career that you just look back and says, that was really something remarkable for me and for you know the group that I supported. Yeah, no, um, I go back to people for me. Um, that's why I'm in provider-based care because I love people and I run. I love, I've always liked having big teams. When I think about accomplishments or things that stand out, there's a common theme. It's when I get that note from a mentee or a sponsoree that says. You know what? I just got the next promotion, and I appreciate the time that you've invested and poured into me. Or it may not even, from that person's perspective, always be professional. Sometimes I've gotten notes to say, you know, thank you from the personal side because you've given me a lot to think about and ensuring that I'm showing up as the human being that I desire to be. I'm a big believer. And at the end of the day, we have to show up well in both professional and personal. And that's why I always say when people ask me about, well, how do you pick a company? I was like, make sure you know your leader and, and do the, and their values align with yours. Um, so for me, it really does come back to um, those individuals who I've supported. And now we call it like to be the kind of um, sending forth ripples. Like they are now on their path to continue to do that for others. Yeah. And that I had just a little part in supporting them and getting to that next level that you know, is truly 
what fulfills me um, and what allows me to continue to say, okay, let's continue to pour in and invest in others and, and do so going forward. You talk about paying forward, and I think that that's really essential, right? I think there's a there's a really interesting divide that's taking place today in the workforce, right? And that is because, you know, students are graduating from business school, pharmacy school, healthcare professional schools with, and some, maybe not all, but some have this perception of, hey, I've made it. And now, you know what? everything is easy street. All I got to do is apply what I learned uh, and it's just going to be great. And we, we know it's not like that, right? Like every day, as you pointed out, every day is variety. It's all a challenge. Whatever you learned was you know great for yesterday. Uh, six months from now, that playbook is just trash. You're just going to have to start over from scratch and work through this process. One of the things that I, and I'm hearing in this with you, Shaquille, is not only have you become a mentor for many, both in the professional and personal space, but you had mentors as well that paved the way for you or that you were able to look at and says, that's what good looks like today. So I'm going to work towards that. Is there one or two mentors that you think like did went a step above and beyond the, the, the group of mentors that you had? Somebody that you look back and says, you know, he or she is the one who started my career path. Uh, but this was the one that I would probably say is I relied on the most. Yes, I do have one. And I they started off as a mentor and then they became a sponsor. Um, but they were someone um, who I initially sought out after seeing them in the organization. Um, but we were able to find in our rhythm because I always feel like sometimes mentoring is a little like dating because I've actually had some that didn't work out and I'm like, this not a good fit. Yes. Um, but this one did. And then I, like I got to stop you on that one because you are, <laughs> I have to drive home this point to the listeners. Guys, mentorship is not a, you're, you know, it, it's not a stalker relationship, right? You're not there to stalk your mentor. You're there to actually build the chemistry or see if there's a chemistry, build on that relationship and develop something that's mutually beneficial. They get pride out of feeding it and investing into you. And of course, you get pride out of that as well. But there has to be comfort. So that's why I had to stop you for a minute, because you're right. Like, I think some people have this mis misconception of, oh, I, I picked John, Mary, and Shaquilla. And so they're, they're my mentors for life. And I'm like, do they feel the same about you? <laughs> so I apologize. I had to interject on that one because it's, no, it's something no. I see I'm, repeatedly. It comes up a lot, right? Like, um, but in, in this relationship that developed over time, um, I think we were able to connect professionally and personally. And what made the difference is just shoot straight. And so um, this person, you know, could observe things and just tell me, hey, you know what, that's, that, that's, that's not good. Like, you need to totally rethink that and or, um, or change your approach. And then, like I said, they became a sponsor, you know, um, with willing to advocate with, with more senior leaders around me, but, um, you know, still touch base with that person, um, even though like we've gone in different directions. I think to your point, like you're not in a relationship for life. <laughs> so, um, and so at some point you do have a natural break and you still can, you know, stay in, in contact, but they were just instrumental and in just giving that really hardcore feedback that you sometimes need showing me the mirror. Yeah. Um, and and I was, I'm very grateful for that relationship. Excellent. I'm so glad that you had that. And I'm sure you are that for someone else too. I really do. I think that that's really important. 
Um, you know, Shakila, when, when I hear you talk, you know, I'm, I'm picking up the pearls of wisdom that you're dropping in this conversation, right? We've talked about hard work, making sure that, you know, you know what your responsibilities are and you're operating at the top of your game in that space first and then moving on and volunteering for more. So definitely cleaning up your backyard and then making, you know, a sign to invite other people for the open house. What I think is also crucial is, you know, for the listeners today, like a lot of people are going to be, again, they have this, mis some of them have this conception of why can't people find me, right? Like I'm already like this, and I've already achieved this and I'm already done this. Like some, there are clients of mine that have been working for five, seven, nine years in their current role uh, and they wonder why they haven't been selected for the next job. And so is there any advice that you have for the listeners on top of being a hard worker and, you know, volunteering for more? Do you have another piece of advice that you can help them recognize? Maybe these, this is what they should also do in addition to, to help them advance their career. Yes. Um, I still go back to, like I said, hard work is there. And I should say this it's not always enough. And I think that's what you're, what you're getting to, too. Um, you know, what's your brand? And if you can't clearly articulate your brand and then talk to a couple of people who observe you, and if, if your brand and, and their perception of your brand are different, then you have to take a step back and say, you know, who am I? What's my brand? You know, like, I always say there are teammates who I think of like athletes. I can put them in any situation and they're going to perform. And then I have my leaders that are from the heart leaders and that works in some scenarios and that's their brand. And so I would really advocate for, for your um, listeners to say, let me take a step back. What's my brand? And is that the brand I want? Is that the brand I desire? And is that what I think? Or is that what others also perceive? And is there a gap? And this, the second thing is, how are you um, continuing to get the exposure that you need? Sometimes, you know, head down doesn't get the recognition. Uh, of course, you shouldn't be the one that's always talking and, and promoting yourself, but there's a balance. And so how are you ensuring that you are recognized? Like, do you show up to meetings and actually speak? I am so in awe how there are times people are in meetings with me and that they don't say a word. And then like, if you've been invited to the table, the expectation is that you are going to contribute to the conversation. And so every time you get that opportunity, like I said, there's a balance, but you shouldn't walk into those meetings and not have anything to contribute, particularly when you're in there with senior leadership. So brand and also just ensure that every opportunity you have, you maximize it that people remember you when you walk out the room in a good way. That's really helpful, Shakila. I think that I'm glad that you said that. Um, you know, it's like a father telling their son, like, this is what you need to do. Nobody listens to their dad, right? But I think having you being able to provide that last bit was really helpful. I think, and I want to reiterate that point as well. Like if somebody's invited you to the table, don't let that opportunity slide with it. You know, you just walking out of the room after 30 minutes or 60 minutes not having contributed. That's, that, that's a brand that's being created, but not by your own design. Exactly. Very nice. Very nice. Shakila, I, I know we're getting short on time here, but I, 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 it would be remiss if I did not bring this into the conversation. You are managing 6,000 associates. You are responsible for two or three states, if I'm not mistaken today. Yeah. Right? Three Texas, states. Or yeah. Go ahead. Texas, Louisiana, and New Mexico. New Mexico, and a little bit of my home state. I'm from Arkansas, so I oh. get a little bit of Texarkana 
because it crosses the border of Texas. Got it. So not lots of travel, lots of situations, lots of people, but you are also a wife and a mother. Um, And, you know, I I did not ask earlier, how many children do you have in total? I have two, (laughs) 12 and five years old. Oh my. So wait, is that uh, a junior high? Yes, one is going to seventh grade and my little is starting kindergarten. Oh my, so this is going to be a banner year. Uh, yes. How do you, so on behalf of every parent or on every, on, on behalf of every listener that is probably wondering this question, how do you juggle it all? Yes, so I first have to definitely credit my husband. We are a partnership. He is equally as business at busy. He's a judge. So he has a lot going on in his life and he has been a great partner, very supportive of my career. Um, so we work to communicate for each other, like travel and also what we need to do for the kids. Um, the second is I've gotten really clear on my non-negotiables, like what things are um, I'm willing to let go and what things are this absolutely critical. And so when I look at my calendar, I'm very clear about how many nights a week I'm willing to travel, how many times a month I'm willing to travel. Are there exceptions? Yes. But I found like if I stick to it, then those exceptions are very few. Um, also, the last thing I will share, I have learned to give myself grace. I cannot compare my parenting with others. And it's not fair to me to do so. Um, so like I said, as long as I'm clear on my non-negotiables in my family, and we understand mom is going to not show up at every school party, my mom will show up to the most critical ones and she, she will not miss recitals and things of that nature. Then I'm good. And I love those parents who can make all the other stuff happen, but I'm very clear on what I can and cannot do. And it sounds like you communicate that well across the board, right? Your kids know this, your husband knows this, those around you understand that, hey, these I've set my priorities, but I've also defined my boundaries. And within this purview, everything else is all right. I love that. Yeah. They actually give me a report card, Igbal. So I, your, I let wait, them Your kids give me. you a report card. My kids and my husband. Oh, and wow. He's given me a, like a below a C at, at sometimes, but it's a good wake up call. You know, yeah. I asked him, I said, you know, how is mom showing up as mom or as wife? Um, there's some other things I get them to grade me on, like how am I showing up around my core values? But I actually asked them that. So now I'm the oldest one is threatening me. She said, I think you may not be an A anymore, mom. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll see. <laughs> I love that. That's a beautiful concept. I just hope my wife doesn't hear that because I don't want to know what she's going to rate me in this space. But I think that that's really nice. Um, Shakila, when you think about as a leader, you know, how we grow and how we, you know, uh, expand our mind to observe new concepts or even like reset our own boundaries and reset our priorities. You know, we're always either learning through books or videos or, or, or quotes and philosophical things. Is there a particular book or a particular source of inspiration that you're using today that continues to ground you or expand your mind? Um, well, one book in particular, and then I should have um, the author, because I talk about it all the time, is called The Dash. Oh, yeah. And it's a book. Okay, you know the dash. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Mitch um, Alborn, or I think that's the author. And it's yeah, it's about like you know we we have two definite dates in our life, but that dash is 
what is most critical? Like, yes, our date we're born and date we're died, but that dash, what does that really mean? Um, it's something that I talk to people about all the time, but it's something that I reflect on. Um, I keep a journal and even when I'm like journaling and making sure like, well, what does that dash really mean? How, how am I showing up that is meaningful? Because you never know how long that dash may last either. So that book um, definitely inspires me. Um, and then there is a quote that inspires me too. And my, my kids are like, mom. Um, <laughs> um, but it's um, a quote, it's, um, it's, it's Muhammad Ali. It's like, impossible is just a big word that's thrown around by small-minded men. And um, to live in the world where it's easier, um, it's easier to live in a world that they've been given to explore the power they have to change. Um, and where I focus on the kids is impossible is not a fact, it's an opinion. Mm. Impossible is not a declaration, it's a dare. Impossible is potential, impossible is temporary, impossible is nothing. Um, and so I really do focus in particularly on impossible is potential and what does that mean? And I think I got the beginning of the quote wrong, but the key is like, you know, remember there's nothing as impossible. It's just a mindset. I love this. Uh, Shaquille, I, I wish if you have space, maybe you can talk to your husband and see if they want to adopt me. I mean, I would love to have a family <laughs> like yours, report cards, you know, motivational quotes like that's really really a great way to raise a family. And I just want to commend you for that because being in the position that you're in, working for a large organization um, with such a responsibility for the American population, it's uh, not easy. So thank you for what you do in that space. I really enjoyed this, car this conversation tremendously. Uh, and I really want to appreciate you being on the show today. I know many of the listeners today may want to reach out to you because they are equally as inspired by you as, as I am. What's the best way for them to do that? Yes. Um, LinkedIn is so easy for me. People do it all the time. And I'm under Shakila Robinson White. Very easy to find. But um, if you send me a note, I'm always happy to see how we can best set up time to connect or engage. So that would be the best route. Outstanding. Shakila, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. I'm absolutely wishing you the best of success as you go forward through the rest of the year. Well, thanks, Iqbal. It's been great to spend this hour or so with you and your listeners, and I wish you and them all the best. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Healthcare and Hire podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow and subscribe for more. I'm your host, Iqbal Acha, and I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Let me know what you thought about this episode or my show in general. Also, visit me at www.achainternational.com to learn more about how I help healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders advance their career build a better brand, and create a leadership legacy. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's keep working to take healthcare to a higher level.